Hello, newsies. Welcome to uh, another episode of Get the Flick Out of Here with me, Alex, and her, Kate. And we uh, are now under a time crunch because the man upstairs, not God, but he might as well be Jimmy Van, has said, an hour and you're out. So we got to get to this thing. So let's dispense with the pleasantries. Hi, Kate. How's your week been? Uh, I'm, it's been chaotic. Um, mm. it, I'm very tired. It almost feels like I've been all over the place. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like, been, like, like, you, like you, like you've been run ragged through time inside a phone booth. Precisely, Alex. Precisely. So, uh, we're, we are, uh, reviewing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure this week. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, we, um. Yeah, this was one of those things we've been kicking around the idea of. And then once I found out from Kate herself that Kate had never seen this movie, I was like, well, this is what we're doing. Um, because because this this feels like uh, we need we, we, we got to do it because this is this is a I saw the movie when it first came out on VHS at, uh, in 1989 and Kate saw it a couple of days ago. Like yeah. there's yeah, and I I must I probably have seen it in in the dozens of times since. So it is a completely different experience for both of us. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. This was on wow. after a wrestling show, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What is what is this George Carlin Keanu Reeves vehicle?" I was like, "We're doing this," and you were like, "Uh." Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and I was like, I actually have never seen it, uh, and um, it did because like Keanu has that Keanu voice, right? But of course, yeah. I always thought I was like, he doesn't have it that much, um, right? Like to the point where I didn't understand. Like I was like, yeah, I can hear it, but he's not like so California that I like right. get why everybody does this exaggerated impression of him, mm-hmm. and then. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie and was like, "Oh, okay, that's why." <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, all right then. Oh, yeah. he is the bro, dude, dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> in this very, very, very fun mm-hmm. uh, little adventure. So, yeah. um, the uh, 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 movie began as a uh, a sketch that um, the writers, uh, whose name I don't remember, and I don't have time to look them up. Um, uh, they were doing uh, sketch comedy shows um, in LA, and one of them was a sketch, which was Bill and Ted and Bob. The series. There was a there's a third character named Bob. Uh, he didn't make it into the movie, the cut, huh? but it was, <laughs> but it was all about two idiots who were um, uh, who would like take questions from the audience about current events, and then try to explain them. The idea was that. The, the two guys had no idea what the hell was going on in the world. So that would be very funny for the audience. Um, and somehow it morphed into this. Um, there were a lot of um, different iterations of this. One of the things I shared with you is the original idea was for Bill and Ted to go back through history and it inadvertently caused the greatest disasters and tragedies in history, like somehow they would be responsible for the Hindenburg disaster and the Titanic sinking. Like, like, uh, 
bogus. We just caused the death of hundreds of people? Bogus. I feel like that would have taken it down a very dark path, and I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, there are some questions, which I will raise, um, about the, uh, the, the, the history of this, about the nature of time travel, because of all time travel movies, this is the one that seems the least concerned about anything, really, and nor should it be. I will also argue, I will point out all of the myriad number of flaws in this film, and then I will tell you why it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Uh, but there are a whole bunch of them in this, but I love it anyway. It's, it, is, it is, I believe, uh, one of the absolute greatest uh, ab- absurd comedies ever. It is, it, is a, it is an absolute perfect storm of concept, cat, and overall um, just aesthetic. If you if you if you tweak something the wrong way, if you cast one of one of those guys wrong, if it's it it falls apart, and it's it's it is it is a magic trick that this thing ever got made uh, because of the high concept. It was almost not released because the original production company went under, um, and then um, they were going to put it just like on cable TV. It was not going to get a theatrical release. It was, just, it was just going to get. That's it. Um, so, um, a new company bought it, and they re- uh, and they released it. Otherwise, we might never have seen it. Or fifteen people would have seen it at three in the morning in a few markets in the U.S., and that would have been it. That's crazy. And if that had happened, no Keanu Reeves, no Matrix, no Speed, no John Wick, nothing. Because this is the thing that put them off to superstardom. Crazy. There is um, so a, a couple of things before we like dive in, dive into it that I yep. I really liked about it. Um, I love the relationship between them. Like, there's they're so dumb, but there is like oh, a love there, the man. Dumbest. Like, we see it over yep. and over again. Like, there's a sincerity in their relationship. Um, where mm-hmm. they they just they're really they love each other, bro. Um, sure, and it's it you kind of need that emotional appeal because otherwise they're just really dumb and nothing else. But there's like a lot of things that rely on their acting performances to your point of Mm -hmm. um, it. You need them to feel close. Otherwise the rest of this world doesn't work because it's kind of like the grounding thing throughout this insane adventure. Um, I also kind of justified all of the, like historical objections that you're going to raise as like we're almost like viewing it through their eyes like this is two idiots going through history right so it's <laughs> like some of the the stupidity i feel like is supposed to be like we're we're seeing it through their experience and they're dumb so right. like these are their takeaways of that mm-hmm. and the third thing is and this kind of segues into the movie i just love that they pick up historical figures as they go along and bring them into new eras and they all have to like change and evaluate and adapt of like, I think Socrates is my favorite yep. in all of it. Mm-hmm. But um, this is, it's just such a fun little touch because so many time travely things are about the protagonist's experience in all these different worlds. The idea of bringing 
picking up people along the way is such a really, really fun thing, especially when they're like renowned figures through history. So, um, and what, what that all leads to, of course, kind of with probably one of the more iconic scenes in all of this. So I love that. I love that there's um, multiple fish out of water instances for a lot of things in this, but very, very pleasantly fun. And then a really easy watch for such a complex kind of concept that we, that we dive into here. Yeah. Um, the, the opening um, is so odd considering the tone of the rest of the movie. Like it's a very, <laughs> it's a very 1988 song. The name of the a band playing it is called big pig, which I just think is hilarious. Um, like, and of course it, it is, is this right? weird, this weird, like, like it's an orb at the bottom and a cone at the top. And it like slowly descends through an opening at a very futuristic room until it lands. Um, and, uh, and, and then um, uh, we cut to George Cullen of all people uh, who was not supposed to be the, they, they went through a lot of different people before uh, they cast George Carlin. He was actually cast while they were already filming the movie, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was offered the role. He turned it down. Uh, there was a lot of that, that one kind of stuff. Terrible! Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah. George yeah, Carlin. Uh, my name is Rufus. Get in the get in the phone booth. Get in the get phone in booth. The Come phone on! Room. Come on! We got to get Napoleon. Um, that would be good. George Carlin, uh, a stand-up who can also act like. Yeah. Which isn't always the case. Like Seinfeld, I always felt like was a terrible actor. Right. Comedic right. brilliance. Yeah. And the show obviously was hugely yeah. successful, but couldn't act for shit. George Carlin actually really, really good and the right yeah. person to navigate this little concept. Yes. Um uh I um anyway, he explains to us breaking the fourth wall. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back in time to like, he says, it's, Hey, welcome to San Dimas, California, the year 2688. Everything's great here, but it almost wasn't. Um, it almost wasn't. This is the first problem with the film. Like this is the major problem with the film. Again, it doesn't matter, but it is a major problem with the film's logic. It almost didn't happen because the great ones were almost separated. After they flunked history, um, Ted, Theodore, Logan, was going to be shipped off to a military academy in Alaska and never to see the other great one, Bill S. Preston Esquire, ever again. Um, uh, So I have to go back in time and help them pass their history class so that they don't get separated and that the band Wild Stallions can be started with the help of two princesses that later I will kidnap from medieval England. And then the four of them will create the band Wild Stallions, which will then create the basis for our entire society that exists 700 years after this going back in time to. The movie never explains how did it ever go right? Things are about to go wrong for our heroes. Right. So how did it ever go right without you intervening? How did we ever get to the point where you knew you had to go back and change things? What did, what, did somebody go back in time and alter something so that therefore they would be dumb and have to flunk history? There's so many problems with this whole scenario 
of you having to go back and fix a problem that, as far as we know, was always going to happen. And if it was always going to happen, then how do you know later that that's what you have to go and fix? It makes no sense. doesn't matter because the movie set, says to you with the rest of it that it doesn't matter. But immediately, George Carlin as Rufus sets up a thing that can't possibly exist. Uh Huge opportunity for a prequel that they just never, <laughs> that they never yeah. did, right? But, uh, I, yes, that it doesn't make sense, but it's Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. So mm-hmm. I right. forgive all of it. It's perfect. No notes. Yep. <laughs> um, so he is our narrator and he is going to tell us uh, a couple of times through the fourth wall what's going on. Um, but, uh, here we go. We we see Bill S. Preston uh, Esquire and uh, Ted Theodore Logan. That is how they introduce themselves. Esquire, I should mention for those of you who don't know, is a suffix that is granted to lawyers once they have pr- p- passed med- law school and are now practicing lawyers. It is like saying MD. Um, it would be uh, if he if he introduced himself as Bill S. Preston Esquire D. M D. <laughs> it would be as ridiculous as him saying uh, uh, Esquire. Um, but uh, they are really bad at making music, which is what they love to do. Um, they believe that they will um, be great if they could just convince Eddie Van Halen to join yeah. their group. But as as Ted points out, they cannot convince him to join their group until they have a triumphant video. Um, but as uh, uh, but we we can't do that until we have decent instruments. But why would we get instruments if we don't know how to play them? Yeah, you're right. Um, they're idiots, uh, and as such, they've forgotten it's time to go to school. Um, but they do make it to school, and they're um, they're uh, <laughs> they're terrible. Um, why am I why am I losing internet? This is ridiculous. Uh okay. I don't um, know, but it feels good to be on the other side of it, to be honest. It does. I'm sure it feels good for you. Um the they they're at school and they we find out they're failing history because um Bill thinks that Napoleon was a short dead dude. Um and uh Ted thinks that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife, which is a really solid joke. That's it a really, a really solid, solid joke. Solid. Who was Joan of Arc? Noah's wife. Perfect. No notes. Um, but if we find out if they don't, if they don't get an A plus, not just an A, not just pass it, but an A plus on their final oral report tomorrow, he's going to have no cha- choice but to flunk both of them. And uh, Ted's police officer, detective, father will send Ted to a military academy in Alaska if he flunks history. That is the major thing we got to get uh, done. So um, we uh, we find out uh, that um, a couple of crucial little, little details that are fun. Um, Bill's stepmom was a senior when they were freshmen, um, and so that's that's a, that's a thing that mind for comedy many times, um, and uh, um, that his his father. He's a very professorial type. I don't know. I think I thought it was a thing that um, the, I don't know. It's not in the movie, but I don't know why it's in my brain that he was a he's a community college professor. And that's how he met his new wife. 
was that she graduated from high school, went to community college, and they got married, and that's this. But he just feels like a community college professor with his weird cardigans and his little little tie and his glasses and his beard. Um, uh, which I guess I look like. I don't have a cardigan, but I could be a community college professor, I suppose. <laughs> um, but uh, it's very odd moment where he like gives the money to leave Bill's bedroom so he can have sex with his new wife on Bill's bed. He's not the greatest father. Uh, no. we could say also Ted's Ted's dad, not the greatest dad. Uh, we don't know if Ted has a mom. She never shows up in the movie. Uh, so um, a couple of things with this that were really fun. I loved, um, they like do an impressive job of maintaining like idiot Heights school innocence in a couple things. And one of them is like, I would have to go to a military school in Alaska and then we'd never start a band. And I was like, oh, that just yeah. is such a fun, like the things yeah. that are so important to you at that age kind of kind of thing of like, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the rest of your life. You're thinking about your band right now. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I it felt very shoehorned in, but strictly for adolescent comedy to have the stepmom who she, she looks good, bruh. They're going to do it on your mm-hmm. bed, bruh. Uh, seems no, like very out of the way just for for this piece of it. Crucially, not bruh. Dude. This was the oh, yeah, movie that gave, that gave us the lexicon of dude. Like other movies were saying dude, not as much as this movie. This movie, this movie no, gave this us... Um, board, yeah. This movie gave us bogus. This movie gave us... Um, uh, excellent thing for a while that was adopted by Wayne's World. There was a lot of things that were. Dude was the crucial one. Uh, dude, I believe, is said seventy times in this film. Um, <laughs> it is an hour and tw- hour and twenty nine minutes long. Seventy times, dude is said in this. Um, but um, they uh, they go and they're at night studying on the curb in front of the Circle K. Uh, and Ted would be like, was comes back and says, okay, that woman over there in the car, she said that Marco Polo was in the year 1275. Um, hey, I, do you know I what knew it wasn't was just a water game. China? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. Very good stuff. Um, but then uh, Rufus shows up because he, um, he has been sent by the great ones uh, who, who rule his society in 2688, one of which is the saxophone player for Bruce Springsteen. That's the main one in the middle is, is Clarence Clemens, who played who plays saxophone for Bruce Springsteen, is, is the ruler of the world uh, in 2688. Sends Rufus back in. in They changed the, the conical orb thing into a phone booth. The idea being that if people see this sitting there, they won't think it's weird because it's from that era, which I totally get. Also, in the original script, it was written before Back to the Future came out. It was supposed to be a 1969 Chevy van. Um, but once they didn't want to be accused of it ripping off a vehicle being the time traveling thing, so they changed it to a phone booth. I honestly think it's great because it allows us to to play sardines with a very uh, re- reputable historical figures squeezed into a phone booth, which is a lot of fun. Um, and it's so very out of place in every other era. Like there's there's something really right. fun about that of like yes, oh it'll masquerade into this oh. landscape, but every other era it makes absolutely no sense. So. Very, right. very fun uh, yeah. with that. And also another hallmark of time travel and the future is skinny sunglasses. Yes. You gotta have like those those skinny mm-hmm. sunglasses, which um, mm-hmm. will take you to a different time or universe. We saw them like in right. Star Trek, I think, and a lot of other things. But 
Gotta have skinny sunglasses mm -hmm. when you're time traveling. Right. I guess you gotta shield your eyes. Rufus shows up in uh, in um, in a phone booth, and he gets out. There's like, um, hello, gentlemen. Uh, you have to come with me. We uh, with the uh, the future needs you. And then another phone booth shows up, and it's Bill and Ted. Um, and different Bill and Ted. He's like, hey, hey, dudes, were you from the future? No way. Yes way, Ted. I just love how how. Tanner Reeves is so excited about that line reading. It's great. It's like, well, if you guys are really us, then what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! Which I thought must have tickled you to no end. <laughs> I was so uh, happy. Yeah. It was so um, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ten old me had no idea how why that was a joke. Uh, but uh, uh, But my brother and I would would stand there and do 69 dudes to like adults and um probably probably shouldn't have done it um Sorry. but we were we, we didn't know what was going on um but uh but anyway he says hey give my love to Tesses who you'll see so um they 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 realized that their their own selves wouldn't lie to themselves so they can trust themselves when they say to trust Rufus. So they, so the the future selves get in their um, telephone booth and it leaves, and they say, "Tad, uh, uh, Bill, strange things are afoot at the Circle K." Um, I love when they use like too big of words or or phrases for their own intelligence. Like strange things are afoot is something they would never say, but it 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 fits so perfectly. Um, I feel like especially yeah. because they're trying to a lot of this movie they're like trying to be smart and academic because yes. they're studying yeah. history so very very um, uh Ian with a very good point as well Rufus never introduces himself to present day Bill and Ted they only learn that fact from themselves saying to Rufus um <laughs> this is a loop paradox because if he never introduces himself to the first time, there's no way the second guys can ever see it. So it just goes in a loop with never actually working ever. It's great because why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and it's great. Um, so in order to prove where they're going, um, they're going through the circuits of time. Uh, how are we doing this? Modern technology. They never explain it beyond that. Modern technology, no. William. And the graphic that they use to show the circuits of time look like mm -hmm. the hair follicles on a Pantene Pro-V commercial. It's hysterical. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's well, some form of of cables that look like hair with yeah. an electricity charge and no, yes. no. nothing else. None. Um uh, they uh, they land to prove where, where are we? Um, uh, Austria, eighteen oh five. The French have just invaded, and we can see Napoleon's army running in. We're in the middle of a war, dude. And we see Napoleon comes war tent, and he sees them over there in the phone booth, and he says in French, "Blow them up." Uh, and and they're going to, but they get in the, they leave. But he he's very far away. Yes, uh, he has to use a telescope to see them. Uh, and when he does, they're very far away in the telescope. Uh, but he is the cannon blast blows him. I would say three or four hundred yards through the air to land at the foot of the disappearing phone booth. So he goes with them. Rufus and then um, Lannis 
Um, he's, he only brings them to Napoleon times to like prove that the time machine works, not to like help them at all. And then like he just picked a random day. It just happened to be Napoleon. But um, so he leaves them there. Napoleon has landed in a tree and he falls out of the tree and they realize, oh my God, we got Napoleon. Um, so they, um, they say, um, oh, he says, oh, remember the clock in San Dimas is always running. It's very important that he says this because otherwise they could just travel back in time and have all the time in the world to do everything. But the well, clock in San Dimas forget, is always running. Don't forget you know, to wind your watch is something that we didn't watch. touch on And before. then we actually Future. watch Keanu Reeves not wind as soon as he's being told to do that. Um, anyway, um, so they realize they have Napoleon. So they leave him with Ted's little brother, Deacon, who's 13 and a half-ish. Um, so he's not, he's crucially, he's got to be old enough to like take Napoleon around and do stuff. But um, <laughs> 13 and a half-ish. Extremely I mean, precise-ish. He's not yet, he's thing. not yet in high school, but he's not like a little kid. Like he doesn't no. feel like he's like 12. I just like, like the not precision yet. of dialing in on a half year and then throwing an ish on the end of it. I mean, I, I, right. This is me. Um, because they never tell us how old he is. All we know is that he doesn't have a mom on screen. His dad is working as a cop and he's always late. He's always looking for his keys because he lost his keys a couple of days ago. That's crucial. Um, but uh, he's like, hey, here's some money. Take him to the movies or something, but do not lose him. He's he's very important dead French dude. We need him for our history report tomorrow. Uh, we are going to go collect other histor- historical figures and bring him back, back. But just take him to the movies or something. It's cool. So he can't be like eight which is how young he would have to be to accept all of this without questioning it. Because he can't be yes. eight because he's got to be able to take him to the movies or something, which you couldn't tell to an eight-year-old. But you can tell to like a 13-and-a-half-ish-year-old. Um, but a 13-and-a-half-ish-year-old who appears to be way smarter than his older brother and his older brother's deadbeat friend would be like, hold on, wait. How did you get the actual Napoleon here? Like, I feel like that is a, a thing of Deacon, the younger brother, who uh, should be questioning this, but at never any point does. The only thing he questions is whether or not Napoleon is a dick. He is. Yeah. He's a dick. Yeah. He um, is. Yeah. He has a Napoleon so, complex, it seems. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they go and they're going to, uh, they, they find Billy the Kid. Um, there's, a, there's a very fun part here where Billy the Kid walks into a saloon that they're sitting there. Oh, hey, we like two beers, please. They just give it to him. Wow, they didn't even card us. We didn't remember this place. Um, but Billy the <laughs> Kid walks in and uh, shoots a gun at the roof, like you do in the Old West. Uh, um, and he says, I need two men. And nobody will look at him. Who's with Who's with me? We're with you, Billy the Kid. Um, and I need two men. He announces it to a room. And the reason he needs two men is to join him in cheating at cards. Um, and if you announce your scheme, you have, I have a scheme. All right. You two men join me in my scheme. Ah, yes. The three of us who have never met ever before will join this poker game, which is not really the kid was a really bad, uh, outlaw. Terrible. That's being the, an outlaw. They portrayed him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a bar brawl that breaks that breaks out when they, when everyone realizes that they are, um, uh, cheating. Um, uh, we're, we're totally weak. We can't possibly fight you, but would you like free passes to Waterloo? 
home of the excellent water slides. Um, and then they get beaten up. But then they, they're able to rescue Billy the Kid, and they get in the phone booth, and they travel away to ancient Greece, which where they meet Socrates. Socrates they do meet Socrates. Joke. I also really liked um, they're like trying to distract them, and they're like, oh, look, it's the Goodyear Blint. Uh, mm -hmm. That line popped me tremendously because that is also yep. like such a specific to this era reference. Mm -hmm. But yeah. a lot of the historical like extras with really great reactions in this of the like, what yes. the hell are you referring to? <laughs> like those things really <laughs> matter and something this weird. Yeah. So good, good stuff on that. But yeah, we go meet Socrates. Uh, we go meet Socrates and uh, he and Ted have a, a philosophizing off. Where he's like, all we are is dust in the wind, dude. And he tries to show it by putting dust in his hands and it falls out. And then Socrates inadvertently creates daytime TV when he says, yes, just as the days of our lives, so are the sands of the hourglass or whatever. Um, and he thinks it's very great. But they take him too. Uh, but then they land in um, uh, medieval uh, England. They say the, the booth is broke. This is, after watching it twice in two days now, I realize the whole booth is broke thing. They only need three historical figures. So as soon as they get Socrates, their report is done. They keep trying to get back to San Dimas every time they get in the phone booth until they're like, hey, extra credit, dude. Like, once once they decide that, then they're actually going to all these different places. But as soon as they get so crazy, they're trying to get home. They end up in medieval England accidentally. You know what I mean? Like that's like I think. Well, once we're here, let's who should we bring back with us? I guess. Um, but they um, they land in the court of King Henry in in England in the 15th century. There was no King Henry that ruled. 18th century. There was one in there were a couple. There was a, a King Henry the Third was in the 14th century, and um, and then K King Henry the Fourth was after that. Um, so they nobody checked the history books when they decided when they were going to write this, which is no, fine because it's Bill and Ted. Um, but this is where they they see the princesses and just to like meet some some historical babes. Historical as babes, it. dude. Um, they sneak into the to the to the to the castle. And this is the longest they spend, I think, in any historical Definitely. thing is that is here. I wonder if it's because they could easily get a castle to shoot in and couldn't other things. Um, but it was very funny that they they're there. They're, they sneak in wearing suits of armor and they decide to pretend like they are uh, Luke and Darth Vader uh, and fight. Um, and then uh, Ted falls down a stairwell in his uh, suit of armor. And Bill f follows him and sees a guy stab him through the suit of armor. So I'm like, man, ar armor is a lot less uh, hardy than I than I thought it was. Yeah, a lot it's, of museums it, have lied to us. If uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, stab him right through the armor. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I, know that was a thing. I do love uh, that they uh, say so, um, that uh, Bill is <laughs> is like. We're here for history, not for babes. And then he's like, yeah, but they're historical mm -hmm. babes. Though that might have been reversed. I think Ted says it. But mm -hmm. um, he's like, yeah, yeah, but they're historical babes. Like, I love that he's like, we can justify the babes because it's history. And then he's like, yeah. well, you're the yeah. ladies, man. How do we meet them? Just like a really, really fun little 
uh, piece there of them being like, no, we're on a mission. And him being like, but it's babes and the mission. <laughs> it's really, it's really also fun. very funny to me that um, that Bill says to Ted, well, you're the ladies man. Yes. <laughs> and if you think about Ted and the idea that Ted is a ladies, because Ted is a goofball. Like Bill is obviously the brains of the operation. Um, and it's just very funny to be like, you're the ladies, man. I, I'm all thumbs when it comes to girls. I don't know what to say to them. <laughs> uh, what do I, what do I do with my hands? Like I, but just the idea of, of, um, Ted being the ladies man is very funny. Um, but they do meet the girls, uh, and it turns out the girls are scheduled to be married to two horrible old men today. Um, yes. and we got to get rid of, so we got to get you out of there. But then King Henry shows up, I think, although in this, in the cast list, he's listed as evil Duke. So I don't I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, but anyway, um, they are uh, captured. Um, oh, there's a there's a there, there's a fight scene where Ted apparently fell out yes. of the suit of armor because that's a thing you can do. Um, and uh, I am the I am uh, I am the Earl of Preston, and I am the Duke of Ted. Uh, very funny stuff. Um, but they get rescued. Rescued by Billy the Kid and Socrates, who smuggled themselves into the pa- palace wearing executioner costumes to get them out of not being beheaded, which was very funny. Uh, in the fight scene, too, Bill thinks Ted has died because of the piercing yes. through the armor. And he goes, mm-hmm. bogus, heinous, yeah. most non-triumphant. <laughs> yes, Ted, don't be one. dead, dude. Killed yeah. me. And he yeah. goes, you yeah. killed dead, Ted, you medieval dickweed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, killed me, so and then just a, um, this was when I really like I really appreciated the sincerity of their relationship because they're both about to be beheaded, and Ted mm-hmm. goes, "I believe our adventure through time has taken a most serious turn." Um, yes, but there's like it, it's you're so right in that this whole thing falls apart if like they really talk like that. You know what I mean? It's not like they're going yes. out of their way to say dude 70 times. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who they are. And, like, yeah. they are really, really good friends. And they ended up in this situation. And this is how it ends. And they really love each other. But, like, yes. I love that about it is that there is there is a very sincere friendship in the midst of all this chaos. But um, mm-hmm. right before they're about to be beheaded, you just see this, like, yes. really, like, oh, man, dude moment. It's, it's mm-hmm. really, like, kind of sincere, which is a nice thing Great. to have breaking up all of this insanity. Billy, um, Socrates. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yes. Um, Billy and Socrates rescue them. Uh, they take a wagon with their uh, um, witchery, the phone booth on top of it. They're able to get away uh, just just barely. Um, uh, so um, this is also where we find Deacon is, has taken Napoleon um uh to uh ziggy ziggy's uh, ice cream parlor where they order the ziggy which is a giant huge trough of ice cream and napoleon loves ice cream he's he is a dick um but he also they also take him bowling where he's cheap obviously by giving himself a score of like on one frame a hundred and hundred and five as opposed to just five um that's very funny and uh, he also says the word mared a lot um this is uh this is great the guy playing napoleon is great with all of this of like he's very suspicious of ice cream at first because he doesn't understand like this colorful round stuff or whatever he Mm -hmm, loves mm -hmm. it um just Mm -hmm. just very fun just fun to pull a historical figure and put him in like 
present day 80s eating ice cream and going bowling like just a very mm-hmm. very fun little especially if it's napoleon who is uh you not not the nicest fella um no but you and, get this uh, like very human side of him like just hanging out yeah. <laughs> they um uh they I, it's very funny because it is presented as though deacon is going on a double date with napoleon because Deacon is sitting next to some, again, 14-year-old girl. And there's another 14-year-old girl who's sitting next to Napoleon. Now, Napoleon did marry a teenage. He was slightly older than 14. So I'm not sure they were supposed to be presenting it as such. But, you know, it is it is a, is a uh, thing. But they didn't know, um, like, when Henry was ruling. So I'm going to say they didn't, like, pick no. up on the satire of that no. uh, when they were creating no, no. this. <laughs> I think they were like, he's um, short. They would think he's a teenager. Right. Um, they um, they're able to, at some point, they decide, screw it, let's go through all of history and pick up everybody. Um, uh, so they get uh, Sigmund Freud. Look, it's, it's Sigmund Freud. It's Sigmund Freud, dude. Um, and so they pick him up because Billy the Kid lassos him. Billy the Kid becomes, they're like, he's at some point, um, there's this great point where he's like, "Wow, this is this is uh, this is uh, this is excellent," says says Billy the Kid. Billy, you are you are handling the ravages of time travel with the greatest of ease. <laughs> like it was just, and, was, and Billy's like, "Thank you." Uh, which That's is so not, good. It was great. Uh, That's um, so but funny. Billy and Socrates bond. Billy and Socrates are like the our best of friends because of the first two guys in the phone booth, which is awesome. Uh, but they get Sigmund Freud. And they get a beef oven. Um, now, uh, this is where they start to get into some weird, like, um, uh, t- the time the time things of, like, so these are all famous historical figures, right? Some of these people wouldn't know the others. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people who didn't know who Genghis Khan was. They, they find Genghis Khan and Joan of Arc and everything. But, like, Sigmund Freud would absolutely know who Joan of Arts, and he spoke French. There's no chance Sigmund Freud wouldn't have been like Joan of Arc. I have so many things to ask you. Like it would have been this thing. And he also said, "Hey, probably don't go into this trap that the English set for you because they're going to burn you at the stake." There's no chance Billy the Kid wouldn't have been like Abraham Lincoln. Stay away from Ford's Theater. And if they didn't do that, if they ever did that to each other to like warn them about their horrible demises, they were all going to have. Then when they when they take them back, because that's what they do later in the film, they take them all back to where they got them. Then like if Abraham Lincoln is like, you know what? Maybe Martha, let's Mary Todd, let's not go to the play tonight. Just I don't I don't know. I'm I'm feeling a little the queasy from whatever we ate for dinner. Let's not go to the play tonight. And then so he doesn't tired from like emancipating <laughs> and, and, and then he bed. doesn't get assassinated. Do you realize how that would have changed not only the history of this country, but the entire globe? Just as simple as that. If Billy the Kid going, hey, uh, do you know you get shot in the head in, in a theater in Washington? It's very funny. Um, it would it's very, very funny. I love I want an alternate version of this where everybody told everybody like everybody talked to everybody like no you should, somebody should do that um uh funny so uh beethoven and napoleon were contemporaries like beethoven uh was playing uh at the court of 
of Napoleon's brother, Jerome, who Napoleon placed on the throne of Germany to act in his stead. Like he would send letters to Jerome, his brother, and say, hey, do this as leader of Germany. So like Beethoven probably knew Napoleon, which is a very sure. fun little thing in here that's, that's funny. But they bring him back, Joan of Arc. Um, they bring back Genghis Khan. They get him from 1207. They have like little little um, uh, dates that they pick everybody from. Why they pick 1207 instead of, I don't know, tw- 10 years later? Because at 1207, he hadn't started conquering shit yet. Like if you could just you could I, they didn't have Google, but you have encyclopedias, you could figure out when things happened. Um, but it's kind of funny that like when they show uh, Genghis Khan totally ravaged all of China. But Genghis Khan, if he could speak English, would go, "I have," because he hadn't yet. He yeah, hadn't even yeah, gotten yeah. that into his head yet. That's very funny. Uh, but they bring back all these people. Um, and I do uh, love if- the the specificity of it all. Like I liked in the beginning when they I think it was twenty six eighty eight, right? Like, I like that it's, like, a very specific year, but with no consequence, because it feels extremely intentional, but kind of for no reason, which is a lot of this movie. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I, this is also true. Uh, Al Leong is the ultimate 80s henchman. He was a henchman in, in um, Big Trouble in Little China, which we reviewed, plays, um, plays uh, Genghis Khan. But after helping Bill with all of his chores so that Missy, his, his stepmom, will drive them to the mall... They all go to the mall, and uh, they have to go find. They have to go pick up Napoleon, um, and uh, but they leave them all at the mall in the food court. Say, okay, look around, see what you think, because the point of the oral report is tell us what you think historical figures would think of present day San Dimas. So they're going to take them to the mall. What better place to go? And then show them around, and then they're going to ask them what they think. Um, so that's how this whole thing is going to start. Um, well, when they're going to go and get Napoleon from Waterloo, which is a fantastic joke that I feel like most people in the world do not get, because of course, that was where he lost his most famous battle, uh, was at Waterloo, get it? Also, it's, but, but the guy, Terry Camilleri, uh, uh, who plays Napoleon, like just gives it a, a other Joaquin Phoenix is playing Napoleon in a Ridley Scott film. He's got a very tough act to follow. This is the seminal Napoleon performance. I want to see Joaquin Phoenix go down water slides before I judge his performance. <laughs> I don't think he can do it. Um, uh, this is this is an amazing scene where um, where Napoleon is 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 taking over the water park is so much fun. Um, uh, but they go and they get him from the water park, uh, uh, and they get back to the um, to the the mall, and at the mall, uh, all of them have been arrested for different things. Genghis Khan is is like picked up an aluminum bat and a, and a football helmet and destroyed a sporting goods store. Jonah has has usurped an aerobics performance, which is the one thing I was like, really, are we saying that like Joan of Arc really cares about? Okay, fine. Whatever. It's 1988. <laughs> um, uh, but like uh, Sigmund Freud and uh, is trying to help Billy the Kid and Socrates hit on a couple of girls in the food court. Uh, Abraham Lincoln went and got his photo taken on those old timey photo places, but they think he's stealing the hat. Um, Be- Beethoven is is playing on one of those crazy like eight keyboard things because he's loving it. Um, all the people are, they're all going to get arrested. They all get arrested. And so one of the most fun things about the entire movie is the sequence where they go to 
the police station to break out all these people from jail. And the the brilliance of um wait, so my, my dad lost his keys. What if he didn't lose his keys? What if you stole them? But I didn't steal them. You didn't steal them yet. So after the report, we'll go back in time. We'll steal your dad's keys and we'll leave them somewhere where we can find them. Yeah, but where? I don't know. How about behind that sign? And there's the keys. It's like the brilliance of that. Also like, hey, what do we got to do? We got to provide a distraction so we can get my dad to move so we can sneak past him. I know. Remember a tape recorder. And they put like, they had left a tape recorder and pushed play. So the dad would like listen to it, walk over there. Remember a trash can. Remember a trash can. A trash can falls and hits on his dad's head. This is this is so brilliant. All the stuff where like the the cops are trying to interview the the people. It's, it's my favorite collected. scene in the whole thing. It's so it's so good. great. Why uh, do you insist that you are Sigmund Freud? Why do you insist that I am not Sigmund Freud? Tell me about your mother. Like uh, it's so the great. best. The best. So, uh, so the great. only thing I think that we might have missed was. They go to the future and then come back, right? Because it's not a future report. It's a history report. So we do get them, which I liked, um, that they were time traveling and also traveled into the future to see Clarence Clemens um, was a, a nice touch because it oh, kind of yeah, justifies Clarence Clemens being they, there in yeah, the they, first place. They live there and they realize that they are like, they treated us like gods there because you are, you're the whole reason for all of this. This is explained to them after they finish the thing. Um, Beep Boop with a, with a great cat. This is the girls with a time machine and boys with a time machine. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> girls with a time machine go back and like meet their grandmother when their grandmother is their own age. And like, it's it's such an amazing thing. They didn't get a chance. To, and boys with a time machine is like, let's go see if we can <laughs> do something wacky with Napoleon. It's let's great. ride um, a dinosaur or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty yeah. great. Um, I, I do love... The two, the two scenes that were my favorite kind of come in everything that you said of the um, them piecing together that they can live their lives and then go back in time after the report because they have the power of time mm-hmm. travel is also right. a nice continuity thing of um, the conclusion of the movie kind of gets postponed in a way. And I feel like a lot of times with mm-hmm. time travel plots, it's like they use time travel, they save the day, and then time travel doesn't really exist anymore. This is kind of yeah. like a nice reorchestration of that. And then, yes, the the police department um, scene with with everybody so great. The Freud one is is my favorite too of him like throwing the questions back at him and asking about his mom. But what's really fun about it is like the eighties police department thing where they think all these guys are out of their mind too. Like the the contrast of like the cops kind of feeling like their time is getting wasted and why the hell do you think you're these people and whatever compared to the performances by the actors of the historical figures is a really um, fun thing because it's not so heavy handed of uh, yeah. like I'm soccer. T- I'm so great. And I ask questions like it's, it's done right. really, really tastefully. I, I loved it. It's my favorite scene. Um, there was the very quick, very quickly, the the scene where they realize that the the phone booth is broke because the antenna is broken. So mm-hmm. they take a pit stop in prehistorical times and <laughs> uh, use pudding cans and uh, gum that has been chewed by everybody to fix the antenna to get them back to San Dimas. Uh, is very funny. Please enjoy this nice treat as part of our prehistorical pit stop. It was very great. Um, but uh, they get them all out and they get to the to the. Um, uh, they break them all out of jail. 
and they get to their oral report. By the way, we've seen all these oral reports, other people doing oral reports. We've seen like, like the obvious valedictorian girl and the like <laughs> smart, but also a jock guy. And then the very dumb jock guy who just trails off during his report and then ends it with San Dimas high school football rules and everyone goes crazy <laughs> because it's high school. Um, but they're about to like close down the whole, the whole thing. You're not allowed. Everyone's going to go home because we were one short re- report short. And then like the, the lights go out and I thought it was the house of black, but it wasn't. And then the lights come back on and there's like <laughs> crazy, like spotlights everywhere. Um, so not like, this is also implied. Nobody else got fancy lights and stuff. No, only them. Production the for only, this, yeah. only reasonable is that if they went forward in time and like set up everything back, backward in time, set everything up so there would be lights that all and they could push a button with a remote and set the whole thing up. It's really cool. But they do this really cool presentation with everybody got getting to do stuff. At one point though, uh little little goof, uh I think it's for the joke, but uh Bill says they picked up uh Genghis Khan in medieval Mongolia in the year 1269. Um, nice. Genghis Khan died in 1227. It's, it's a weird, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's there for the joke because he gets to say 69 again, but that's not historically accurate. Anyway, it, this is a really fun presentation. Everyone knows the presentation. Everyone knows the presentation. It's very, very fun. Where like Sigmund Freud a- accurately analyzes Ted based on his father's, <laughs> his father's own failure. If fear of failure is, is, is pushed onto Ted and that's why he treats him the way he does. It's like, um, uh, it's like, whoa, that's his big, his big whoa moment. Um, that's where we get the whoa meme. But then he says to Bill, would you like me to analyze you? No, 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 I'm good. Got a minor Oedipal complex, uh, which again, um, you know it, but if you, but there's so many kids have no idea what the hell that means. Uh, but it is funny. It's a very funny joke. Um, I, um, I thought this was, this is all great. Uh, basically, all Billy the Kid gets to do isn't do like a uh, like a roping, just d- d- like demonstration or like trick shooting. He just comes out and introduces them, which I thought was funny. Um, yeah, that is. Kind of- <laughs> uh, um, but uh, Joan of Arc sword fights and and yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. Um, but it's Abraham Lincoln who gets to be the keynote speaker, as it should be. Um, and spelled C O L N. Yeah. Yes. 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 And um, <laughs> he uh, he gets to do this awesome like four score and seven go, uh, which is a fantastic. And that's how we all thought uh, Lincoln spoke until Daniel Day Lewis played him and like went back and found an old like one vinyl recording of him on the thing and like played it and, like oh actually he had this very high resonant of speaking. And so that's why when Daniel Day Lewis played him, he talked up here like this because he actually went back and did the research. Guy who played Lincoln. Come on, do your research if you're going to play Lincoln. I'm kidding. I um, mean, but it's playing perfect. Lincoln yeah, and I'm Bill kidding. and Ted's excellent adventure. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's entirely a joke. Um, I but I, I love um, that that he does this version of the Gettysburg Address. Um, that it, like they, they brought forth a, a saying that's true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And and at this point, for the first time in the entire speech, he looks at the camera. Party on, dudes! (laughs) So great. Um, uh, uh, This is uh, is excellent. Uh, The the crowd goes crazy. They start chanting, we want more. 
the then 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 of course the um the phone booth uh disappears and everyone goes uh what <laughs> um but they cut to i guess a few days later um and um they're back to being terrible musicians um and then rufus shows up with the princesses that he has kidnapped from their time period um and uh he asked them to sign a a, a the an album cover for his kids because they're bi- everyone's big fan of big fans of yours uh your your music is the basis for for our entire society and i'm trying to like figure like just the idea of that that music from 700 years ago would become the basis for a society odd but um but the 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 joke of course is that he's going to get to watch them play together uh, for the first time and uh and they're awful the the girls are worse at their instruments than bill and ted are which, which is a feat um and then the, the the one of the best jokes in the whole thing is where he then looks at the camera and says they do get better which is, is very funny because you would have to hope they did if you're going to build an entire thing um uh i do like uh, that it's the of girls. course i mentioned that high san Dimas high school football rules of course i did of course um a couple things that are fun in this i love the idea that anybody has ever this is like a very 80s and 90s thing too nobody really i don't think ever reacts to a presentation or a book report in reality like they do in movies like i never presented yeah. something <laughs> where people ever cheered or had like an emotional reaction and i'm, I'm a pretty good public speaker mm. i don't think it was that but I just love I love that trope in movies of just like people just going insane for a historical presentation. Um, and I also love um, that it's the gals in the band, especially because they're the ones that had like the dire circumstance of mm-hmm. they were set to marry terrible old men. Their lives were not good. So it, it kind of justifies like, well, we'll keep them in this era. And it also wouldn't have had an overwhelming historic consequence like if you had kept... Right. Lincoln or anybody else around, right? So well justified from that perspective of the the historical bits were the ones to to stay here. And uh yes, George Carlin, a gem. Um uh a true gem. Uh yes, majority movie was filmed in Arizona it, it, it films in Arizona, including the um uh the mall scene, circle K scene, all that stuff. Uh the the the, the Waterloo isn't actually Waterloo, although it would be very funny if you actually named a water park in reality Waterloo. Nobody will get the joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it actually is a is a park outside of Phoenix. Um, so much of the stuff was was um, was filmed in Arizona. Uh, San Dimas. I didn't realize like what it was. Like I thought it was near San Diego. It's 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 east of Los Angeles, about forty five minutes from the ocean. Um, uh, I I figured that out when I drove buy it uh when i moved to la from from uh from west virginia after after uh i lived in la for about six months and i said this is not for me um but i i but i drove out there and um i saw san dimas and i was like i pull over and get a get a picture with that sign and i looked behind me and there were a thousand cars and i said nope nope because it's freeway driving in in los angeles county that's not i'm good so yeah but I didn't wherever they're from, though, they're from the valley. Like they are the male equivalent of valley girls. Yeah. Like this is so, sure. um, dude. Yeah, dude, dude. Yeah, it is. Um, 
it's it's like 34,000 people. It's a, it's a smaller suburb of Los Angeles, but it is like the, the Southland as they call it is just one gigantic thing. Uh, so it is kind of funny. They're very there, but it's cool that they called it. They decided to make it San Dimas um, when it was not, not actually filmed there. So it was like, no, there was no uh, partnership with like the local town Sure. With the film crew, so that wasn't like they they have to call it San Dimas as opposed to L.A. or whatever. It just they chose to make it San Dimas, which is kind of funny um, and, it, and it's kind of a joke, to, probably to people who lived in the L.A. area because it, what a random place for it to be. But also, yeah, that tracks. Uh, these are these are people from San Dimas. That makes sense. But um, especially knowing uh, they like switched production companies and stuff. Like, yeah, I wonder if it was set to film in California and they were like, we don't know how this is going to go because this is real weird. So maybe let's switch it up. (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) San San Dimas uh, is very proud of the fact the town is very proud of the fact that the the show is the movie because it um, it's when it when they celebrated 50 years of their town being incorporated as a town, uh, they Said they their their big presentation was um, San San Dimas, fifty years a most excellent adventure. So that was kind of cute. They did. That. They should be um, because they, not they, only was this movie filmed there, Abraham Lincoln was there, Napoleon was there. Don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rich yeah. history now in San Dimas yes. because of it. It's very true. Uh, of course, this movie spawned a sequel, uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Um, I have here the novelization of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey which maybe that'll be a Patreon thing where I will just read it <laughs> out loud. That'll be fun. Um, but, uh, and then they did a few years ago, they did Bill and Ted face the music, which I still have never seen. So, you know what? Maybe we'll have to review those later. Um, but this one we're keeping in. I think we both realize we're keeping this oh, in. So um, keeping it in. And it is funny because this has so many opportunities for a prequel, a sequel, you could zone in on one piece of this and make a whole movie out of it. Like it could just be Abraham Lincoln in present day or whatever, all those relationships that you were talking about crossing over historically. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is already such a wacky plot. Like, I think you can't go there in this film, but it is interesting that like this was that successful and they didn't try and make seven of them. Uh, but Keanu Reeves right. probably had moved on at that point of his career to yeah, be like, yeah, I'm in the uh, Matrix like, now, yeah. like, I'm good. No, Bogus <laughs> Bogus Journey was 91, like, 92, he was in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, horribly. Okay, uh, yeah. And, like, then he was, like, speed. Like, then it was just, like, Jen was just off to the races, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and and Alex Winter is, like, a documentarian now. Like, he's he, he really? was a producer. Okay. And do- yeah, and he's, like, he Very makes cool. documentaries. He's a really smart dude. He's a really good follow on, like, on social media, a very smart guy, but it is interesting how this all goes. So, yeah, we're definitely keeping this flick in. Super uh, keeping we, it in. Yeah. When when we get the sequels, um, uh, we'll probably keep them in. But you never know. We might decide to get the flick out of here well under 60 minutes. By 20 seconds. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and look at the camera for like at least 10 of those 15 seconds. You you all thought we couldn't do it, but we did it. We're going to just have this wonderful weekend where we come in Bye, right everybody. under the wire. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.